Power Athlete Radio. Maybe you remember being a kid and being cut from a team, or perhaps your own kid is struggling with the same reality now. This week, our discussion with Olympian shot putter Adam Nelson begins with precisely that theme. Did his baseball coach's candor cause Adam to give up athletics, or was it the honesty that he needed to fuel a different fire? Recently, there's been a fair amount of discussion on the show about how to navigate kids through the generalization, specialization dilemma. Nelson provides anecdotes from his upbringing, which he feels led him to be successful. He also levels with listeners about being quite possibly the most frustrated spectator of children's soccer of all time. Not only are we grateful to have Adam Nelson back on the program, but we are pumped to announce that he will be speaking at the 2017 Power Athlete Symposium in Austin, Texas. Stay tuned to hear about his appearance and more symposium goodies. This is episode 221. Power Athlete Nation, unique <laughs> New York. What is unique up, New York? You're speaking with Luke Summers of Power Athlete and John Wellborn, Power Athlete, and we're here with another episode of the Premier, Premier Podcast, Podcast in strength, strength and conditioning. Shit and conditioning. We'll work on that. <laughs> Fuck. I got this soundboard here and uh, working on the the echo. And you know, listen, I. I'm a computer guy. You th- these knobs, I need digital fucking buttons and dials. What are you talking about, dude? You're all about wires. That's why we have so many wires I know, around this place. Hefty wire con. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of Power Athlete Radio is brought to you by the Power Athlete Symposium, bitches. The Power Athlete Symposium is a three-day speaker event that we're having out here in our new, fresh Power Athlete HQ in Austin, Texas, December 8th, 9th, and 10th. Um, third, is this our fourth? Yes. Fourth. Yes. This is our fourth year doing this thing, people. And if you don't know what it's about, powerathletehq.com slash symposium. We're going to have like 11, 12 speakers. We have two different setups. Uh, one is just going to be standard podium PowerPoint uh, uh, presentation on anything, any information uh, that that empowers performance, right? And these speakers have been handpicked based off our journeys across the country, hearing and meeting people on Power Athlete Radio at other events um, by myself, John, Tex. We've just kind of said, these are the guys this year or gals. So we got 11 or 12 speakers. It's going to have a little practical session at Power Athlete HQ on Sunday morning. But other than that, speaker uh, with PowerPoint. And then my favorite, the Talk To Me Johnny live setup, which is where, John, you sit down with somebody and just like, unfiltered uncut let's see where it goes last year was awesome because the audience chimes in and participates right so it's going to be a killer event and most importantly ladies and gentlemen first off book your tickets get your spots hurry up uh all of the proceeds are going to wade's army yeah our cancer charity for neuroblastoma 501c3 to benefit wade de so yeah we're doing this in uh in memory of wade de and also for uh to benefit wade's army so come on have a good time let's uh Let's get out there. I'm actually pretty excited for some of these speakers. Uh, Bert uh, Soren, who's one of our speakers, texted me last night that he listened to the Rudy Reyes podcast. Uh, spoiler alert. I haven't announced anyone yet. Uh, I'm just telling you. Well, I'm, I'm dropping the bomb, but Bert was like, holy shit. He's like, uh, have you listened to the Rudy Reyes podcast? And I'm like, uh, well, other than doing it, I haven't gone back and listened because uh, I'm still trying to mentally work through the four hours of pre and post that did make it on where I'm pretty sure that Rudy tried to get us to transcend uh, this universe and reach Nirvana. Um, and then we ended up uh, fighting. And that's when I remember I slammed him when I realized oh, yeah, she yeah. was about to get it fucking ugly. Yeah, Rudy so, came in and fucking like Tai Chi and Kung Fu uh, your ass. No, like, but you weren't like, seeing it. And then all of a sudden, well, Born went back into like uh you know set step punch set step punch 
fucking took him to the ground. No, like Rudy started like trying to go all last dragon on me and like trying to like do some like I don't know what he was trying to do. But all of a sudden he like went to, you know, do some flowy thing. And I, uh, you know, as I defeated the move, I could see the intensity rising and realizing as the intensity was goes up, I had to diffuse this very quickly. So at which at which point I just, you know, snatched his 174 pound ass and pound, you know, put him on the ground and held him down. And uh, put my knee on him, and then I was like, "Just, just relax, dude. Just diffuse the situation. Let's just all get along." And at which point, he like came back to earth, and then we got up and did the podcast. And I was like, "I told Bird, I'm like, shit, almost got weird there for a second, and uh, I knew I had to diffuse it quickly. My spider sense went through the roof." Oh, dude! It. So, people, episode two fifteen. That was Rudy Reyes. And uh, speaking of past episodes, speaking of the Power Athlete Symposium, today we have Adam Nelson on. He's uh, originally joined us in episode one eighty five. Have a killer story there. Um, you know, <coughs> frustrating story to say the least, right, Adam? Um, yeah. so people pop back there and, uh, and, and check out that episode is killer, but Adam will be joining us for this year's power athlete symposium, man. So and, well, and, and, and if you guys haven't had an opportunity to hear Adam speak in person, I mean, um, I got a chance to hear him speak, uh, at the, you know, at Sornex, um, summer strong 10 and, uh, one of the most impassioned, uh, well polished, good speakers. Uh, you know, like I felt like I was on the roller coaster ride. So it was, uh, it's exciting and really excited that he'll be able to come out and share with us at the Power Athlete Symposium. It was all based on a lie, man. I made it up on the <laughs> it spot. All it all is. No, that really happened. It's the truths we create. That's what I like to tell Tex. He's like, that's not how I went yeah. down. I'm like, we create the truths, Tex. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if it was eight girls or one girl. Like, you just say it. <laughs> it doesn't even matter if it was a girl. That, that's yeah. see, John, Whoa. you get it. So, Adam, I guess for listeners who maybe haven't chimed in to uh, our previous episode, why don't you give a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. Um, so, I guess why I'm here is I was a shot putter for a long time. I uh, competed in uh, three Olympic games, five World Championships, and a bunch of meets in between. I managed to walk away with a bunch of hardware, including an Olympic gold medal and an Olympic or a World Championship gold medal, and as of this past weekend, I'm still the only person to win both the Olympic gold and the world championship um, gold in the shot put in the history of the shot put. So uh, I thought that was going to go down this yeah, year. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> no, it's, those are the titles. Those are the things that we claim to the older we get. We, we start getting more. <laughs> John, I know you're over there going like, yeah, but see, I was the only person to have four pancakes in the first no. half of <laughs> We, we start Adam, I'm still clinging. Low. I'm still clinging to high school. I gotta football. think. Of, I, <laughs> I can't even think of anything. But like, I, I remember there was a bunch of stupid stuff. But I mean, when uh, you know, I had a, a very great opportunity to play in the NFL. But um, I'm always uh, in awe of people that are able to, uh, to compete in the Olympics and have success in the Olympics because you're talking about you know one opportunity in four years you know your whole like the, you know training for the quad and this deal and then you know i have to be able to peak in time for the olympic trials and then be able to do it and i'm just always amazed like you know i, I got a lot of opportunities to go out and prove whether or not i was good or bad every sunday you know for you know ends amounts of time and then the, but the amount of training that you guys do for just one opportunity has just always been something to me that's just uh it, you know like the the struggle and, and all that, you know, when you watch the Olympics, but I, I don't think people necessarily grasp the amount of time that the people are dedicating to their craft to get to that point. And having, you know, been an athlete, I know about all the countless hours. And so to, to like, to see just to train for just one opportunity like that every four years is, uh, 
like it, like that's why I, I think when I when I do get a chance to watch the Olympics, and I'm, I'm always avid uh, Olympic watcher, like I live and die with these athletes. Like you see them, like you know, like like the success and like the you know the person who fails, and like you know people like poohoo them, and like my heart breaks for them. I'm like, do you know how many hours these people have worked and the level? Like you're watching them because they are the best. Mm-hmm. Like if they weren't the best in the world, you they wouldn't even be on the TV. And then you figure the NBC and the people that are showing the Olympics, who. Uh, fuck I want to torch to the ground anyway because they only want to like you know focus on certain people where I'm like why don't we have pay-per-view why can't I buy what I want to watch because I want to watch all the obscure stuff I want to see you know I want to watch the shot putting the disc and the hammer and and what's crazy is they show all that in Europe but here in the U.S. it's like oh we get more diving more swimming and gymnastics Branding. which is killer but at the end of the day like I'm just amazed that track and field isn't uh, a bigger deal here in the United States because I think it is such a um, spectator sport. Like it just drives. I mean, it, yeah, kills me. So, and I'm sure it kills you too. So, it, it it does. I mean, I would love to see it grow, but I think the problems with uh, with track and field, and this may go into a rabbit hole here. Uh, awesome. But uh, let's go. But I think I think the problem I think the problems with track and field stem from the fact of how it's produced and how it's actually shown. Uh, you guys are familiar with the power sports world too, and like how, and, and even like some of the MMA stuff. But you don't necessarily realize how awesome some of the some of the athleticism is that you're seeing until you're right next to it. You see a guy pull 800 pounds for the first time from the floor. You see a guy squat 800 pounds or a thousand pounds, whatever the number is. You see someone throw a 16 pound ball and you're right next to it. That's when you appreciate the power the strength and, and what these skill sets these guys have. And it's the same. I mean, I think maybe, maybe in the MMA and the fighting world, it may be a little bit different. Um, because everybody, you know, likes to think of themselves as, you know, you know, the, the, uh, the armchair badass that, yeah, if I was in that fight, I could, I could do that, but you couldn't. And like, quite honestly, like when you see those guys train, the, those guys train at a different level than everybody else too. Like that's when you st- truly appreciate what it takes to be uh, world-class at something. So I think it's all a matter of perspective. And unfortunately, like with an individual sport, you can't necessarily gain perspective from, you know, 50, hundred meters away with a, with a television camera, you've got to be up in it. Highland Games is a great example. You go to a Highland Games event, you know, you watch those athletes compete, and it's fucking cool. Um, you can truly appreciate what they do. Would it work as well if they were, you know, a couple guys in a field and they were shooting a camera, you know, the camera was up, you know, at the top of the stadium? I don't know if it would translate as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a, there's a whole lot of issues there that we can unpack later. Well, I mean, uh, I taught a seminar in Spain last year, um, and during the summer, I mean, we, we went in, uh, like, you know, after the uh, the event, we uh, went back to the hotel, and they were showing the US, or the uh, European uh, uh, track championship, and we sat there and watched, you know, five hours of, uh, of this, and they showed, like, yeah, I mean, they, it just wasn't the sprints, I mean, they were showing everything from the triple jump to, like, you know, every sport, uh, and it was, you know, we, we were going to go out to dinner and we we're supposed to go meet these people. And we just blew them off and drank beers and watched, uh, um, you know, the European championship because it was so good. You know, yeah. I was so stoked to watch, um, what is it? Uh, uh, that, um, the girl from Holland, the, the white girl, that's a sprinter, uh, Diane Schipper, not, Schippers. Yeah. Daphne, Daphne, yeah, Daphne. Schippers. Dude, the, uh, the fastest <laughs> white girl I've ever seen. And yeah. like unbelievable, like she was, you know, and it, it, it's always cool to see uh, that type of stuff because, you know, here in the U.S., it's like, oh, you know, where, the, you know, where's all the white sprinters and this? I'm like, well, they're, you know, usually playing in the NFL or uh, 
or you know they just don't exist but then you go over there in europe and you see like so many different cultures whereas here you know in the u.s it's just you know predominantly you see you know uh like it's big in the black community so then that's what you see mostly in the olympics but like over there it's like so multicultural so i mean i just really appreciated it um but no it's it's all inspiring like i always um you know i did a cool job and uh, i was always had a ton of respect and always loved watching that just for the mere fact that like there is and and you got to think too for a lot of uh the sports, I mean, these are, you know, closed loop sports where it's, you know, the mastery of the movement. Like I've done this repetition over and over and over again to the point where like, uh, you know, I could break this down by milliseconds and then it's just about executing it. So it's always truly impressive. Yeah, man. Well, I think going back, John, to what you were talking about, just that moment and Adam, your talk at Summer Strong is you no one has an appreciation for the high to low for like uh you, you know missing a qualifier or you know missing out on on the podium because you know i think what you were talking about is like it's the biggest deal to you but everyone else in this world doesn't give a fuck like and that's a painful realization but it's true you know you just you don't oh i'd say the mass the masses who watch that shit you know, don't un- even understand but, uh, the heartbreak but, of, but, of that missing on that moment, especially if you know it was because of something between the ears and you just, you fell short. But isn't that really everything? I mean, I um, I, I think about this all the time. I mean, for example, Luke and I uh, power washed uh, the concrete yesterday. In, in, that was in, our in moment. The barn, <laughs> in the barn. Because there were streaks, so we were in there power washing because we're going to, like, seal the floor to build the office. And, like, there's streaks in there, and we're, like, making a big deal about it. And I remember I, I told my wife, and she like she's like, you realize not a single fucking person is ever going to notice this shit. You're going to pull your thing. You're going to build the office. Everything will look great. Except you just told the whole fucking except, seven listeners yeah. of Power Athlete Radio. Except <laughs> you and Luke are going to walk in and be like, look at that streak over there. And she's like, you're the only dipshits that's ever going to notice. She's like, just fucking do it. Just stop screwing with it. Don't worry. Just go on. And like, and that becomes like such a metaphor for so many things. Everybody else imagines like this is such a uh, a monumentous moment in my life, and like you know this failure and this. And for the most part, man, people don't even notice. No, that's it's probably because so their faces true. are buried in an iPhone. Yeah, it's probably even more true, right? Like, <laughs> the more we rely on these things, like the more people are like, yeah, you well, know, like, they, Adam is tinkering oh, with yeah. his iPhone right now. Oh, seriously. Yeah, that's right. They can't see me do that, right? <laughs> well, so. he, just, he just took a weird bunch of selfies. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> and he's, as, as is tradition, he's shirtless in tidy whites. Yeah. Well, you can't actually see if they're white or not, but, you know. <laughs> I thought he was wearing a wrestling singlet. <laughs> uh, leopard print. <laughs> One strap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 think that's, I think it's interesting. Like For Olympic athletes, you know, we do compete for moments for the most part. Um, you know, whether those moments end up being good memories and medals is, is a completely different thing, but, uh, our whole, our whole job, our whole career, our whole training life is focused on making those moments happen once every four years. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. I mean, I know one of the things I always do, do is, is, uh, talk about what Pierre de Coubertin, who is the founder of the modern Olympics really stressed, which is that in any competition, there's only going to be one winner, but there's going to be a lot of victories along the way. And so when you're going through this journey, you know, for example, like you guys are talking about the stuff going on with the ranch, trying to get everything set up. There's, there's, there's crap on the floor, a streak on the floor. You put the floors in first and realize you shouldn't have done that. Like, they're going to be a lot of little victories that come after those little heartaches where you're like, you're like, wow, that was really suck. And that really sucks. But then you had that one little moment where you're like, wow, all this stuff came together the right way. And nobody's there to see that. 
And I'm often reminded of the quote that, uh, you know, about champions and that uh, champions are made when nobody's watching and championships are made when everyone is. And as the life of an Olympian happens on a four-year cycle, most of what we do goes unseen. Um, and so you really have to trust that your, uh, your, your, your sort of day-to-day actions and, and commitment are going to get you to that moment where, you know, the payoff is maybe that opportunity to, to win that championship, win that medal when everybody is watching truth and it's the journey right so i mean that's kind of you know i have a blog called talk to me luke <laughs> where the tagline is it's a long road <laughs> no, but obviously that's john's blog and you know that it's i find myself saying we were john's just on, blog's name talk to me luke talk to me luke yeah, yeah. it's complicated it's a naming it's issue uh but we were just tex and i were just on a, a podcast yesterday and is it's mostly like a, it's geared towards youth athletics and high school the parents of some high school athletes they have and uh you know, it's like if you can give one piece of advice for these kids, you know, I guess one of the things is these, the parents think that you can they can hack the system and get through it and get that quick victory early. And um, I, co- I come back to my wellbornisms. You know, it's a long road and like it's that journey that that starts to define it, right? Well, I mean, the the other one too. And uh, uh, somebody asked me about this recently. I was like, I I sucked for a long time at a lot of things. And it just was uh, kind of either stubborn or, or, you know, didn't know any better. But I just figured like, uh, you know, like the age old one is, uh, what, what is it? If you hang around the barbershop long enough, you get a haircut, which I've actually changed to. If you hang around the tattoo parlor, eventually you end up with tattoos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that idea that if you hang around long enough and if you're just right in the right situation and you just show up and like eventually it kind of everything kind of puts in. And I think what people expect is to have uh, instant uh, success. And if they don't have instant success, then they obviously don't have aptitude for it. And like, that's one that kind of strikes me, especially with my daughters. Um, you know, like when we go, you know, like, uh, whether it be swimming, gymnastics or any type of, you know, uh, sports that we've exposed them to, or even jujitsu or, you know, any of the combat stuff is like, uh, these parents and you sit there and like, Oh, you know, uh, my kids come three times and they're, you know, they're so good. They want to do this. And I'm always like, Oh, that's great. You know, congratulations. And, um, you know, or they, you know, like, you know, this kid isn't as good as this kid. And I'm like, dude, they're five years old. Like, like take a deep breath. And then we even saw this at the swim stop. Like this mom was so proud that her child had done so well on this. And I remember, uh, like my daughter was, you know, I was just stoked that she was able to swim the pool. And this mom was like, oh, I like this. And I'm like, they're five years old. Like, just take a deep breath. And then whenever people are like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, dude, there's a point in life where, and you know this dude, like, um, you play sports for yourself, for your family, for whatever reason, because you enjoy it. And then there becomes a situation where it's not necessarily fun anymore, but you keep doing it for other reasons, like to win a gold medal, to be the best, uh, to make the money, to you know, to try to go out and beat people's asses or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, like it's not, my <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily fun. And anybody that says, "Oh, just go out there and have a good time," is full of shit. Uh, because if you truly uh, believe and want to, to win to the point where you will literally fucking live and die with each breath, there's almost like I need to go out and win this thing so I can like finally take it, you know, a deep breath and 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 feel okay with myself. And like you know, I, I always hear whenever you hear athletes like, I, you know, just go out there and have a good time, or I just want to go out there and enjoy the moment. And I always am like. That's the fucking classic tip of the hat of the person like that's not going to win. I want the person over there who's ready to throw up in their helmet and uh, ready to get it done. And then when they walk out, they're like, fuck, I just won that gold medal. 
I can finally go sleep and uh, sleep through the night. And I think if um, you have that level of dedication where, you know, you want to live and I'm seeing you nod your head because you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, where it was like you finally won it and you thought, okay, God, I can finally take a breath because I've been holding it for four years. But I mean, that's, uh, there's certain people that love that stuff and that's what they live for. And I did too. Um, but it just always makes me laugh when you see these parents, uh, with these kids and it's, um, you know, and we do, uh, you know, so with my two daughters, I see it all the time. And I just tell these people, I'm like, dude, just let them enjoy it. Let's have fun. Like, just let them go out and learn this stuff because there's going to be a day where it's not fun. So like, I try to really protect that, but yet, um, you also run into a lot of parents that I think are vicariously living through their children to try to get them to do something that they could not. And I always go back to my dad where, you know, my dad kind of shrugged his shoulders and he's like, I enjoyed every game. I, I was just happy you guys played in high school. And then he's like, I got to go to all these NFL games for 10 years. And he's like, I thought everyone was amazing. He's like, my most sad part about uh, you retiring was that I didn't get to go to all the games anymore. Because <laughs> he went to everyone. So, no, I mean, and, and like that's the reason you do it. But it's always uh, – it's always interesting, like, and I'm sure for you, Adam, like, um, you know, the first time you picked up a shot or the hammer, you, d- you threw disc or anything, it was probably, you know, I don't know, maybe you took it like a duck to water and it was just something that was so naturally or the type of thing where it was like, you know what, I will get good at this if I just give myself enough opportunity. Yeah, and I think you, you're hitting on it right there. Like when I first started throwing the shot, um, it was in eighth grade. I got cut from the baseball team. Uh, it was a nice dose of reality as a 12 or 13-year-old the coach literally called me in and looked at me and said, with no apologies at all, you're just not good enough. <clears throat> and um, you won't be good enough. Even if you did travel ball, you will never be good enough to be on this team. I think you should take a different route. And probably didn't appreciate it a whole lot at the time, but it's a level of honesty and candor that you just don't hear uh, often t- in today's world. Um, you know, we, we, we treat kids with, with, these, with these kid gloves, so to speak, and, um, well, I mean, but, uh, like, <laughs> like maybe now, but like, uh, you and I are on, on pretty yeah. the same age. And, uh, I remember a similar deal. Like it almost seemed like, um, people have, I don't know where this came from, but I remember like not being good and being told I wasn't good. And then mm-hmm. my mom and she's like, well, you're not good. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then being confirmation, like, right? Yeah. I'm like, thanks. I don't sugarcoat it. Like, like, like now it's like, uh, like we said, like, but, uh, I think there's definitely been a change where like, I don't remember everybody <clears throat> participation medal. I don't remember that stuff. I remember there were, you know, like I remember in baseball, like there were kids that, um, you know, I remember w- like when I was young and I went to go play in like the upper whatever deal, like everybody had to at least play two innings. Mm-hmm. Dude. I remember that first year I played two innings a game, right field. And got like two at bats and I was awful. And like, and I literally was like, just sat there, you know, you're basically just throwing your mitt in the air all day. And it's like, all right, well, and then you get better and you go play next year. You don't go home and cry or have your mom's call the the coach and scream and bitch about it. It's like, and I knew I wasn't as good, but you just have to have more opportunity and more time. So, I mean, it just develops over time. And I think that's where people kind of realize like everybody wants their kid or wants to be the best at everything instantly. And you're like, dude, like I, I don't know anybody that has natural aptitude, and maybe there is one or two, but yeah. I guess yeah, what I, I kind of appreciate about the story, Adam, is you know, it sounds like he gave you, he at least channeled you to a different. He didn't stonewall you. He's like, hey, man, you're just not going to cut it. Try something else. Did he empower or enable that, or did you just kind of so figure it actually out? Actually, it was own? my dad. Oh, okay. So the, the, the <laughs> you know, subsequent to that meeting, I went home and I was like all fired up about it. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to train for 
for football. Uh, so I can take the whole spring, the whole summer. I'm going to come back freshman year and I'm going to be the first freshman to ever play varsity. I'm going to, it's going to be awesome. Right. Cause I'm going to work my ass off. And, uh, I go home and I tell my dad, my, my new grand plan. And he looks at me and he says, well, um, you could do that or you could get a job. <laughs> And so then he said, you can do two, one of two things. You can go out for another after-school activity or you can get a job. And the jobs uh, that are available for like a 12 or 13-year-old boy in, in Georgia back in 1989 or 88 or whatever year it was, um, they weren't that great. Um, I may have actually enjoyed it for different reasons because the Baskin Robbins was hiring and Miss Hawk had an affinity for young men, young boys. <laughs> and who doesn't so, like Baskin Robbins? <laughs> was it the 31 flavors? <laughs> um, but, uh, but I, instead I ended up going out to the track and I did all these events. I mean, I did, I, I wasn't good at any of them, but I did all of them uh, from the hundred to the, uh, the hundred, 200, 400, 800 long jump. I did the pole vault. I joke. I did it for one day, literally. Um, I didn't the, in the shot put in the discus. Uh, and I was horrible at the shot put and the discus. Uh, I mean, I think there were five people on our eighth grade team and I was either fourth or fifth on our team. Um, but it was one of those things where like, I didn't really go, go out to find what I, I didn't know at the time that this was going to be a passion of mine for the next 20 or 30 years. Like at the time I was just trying to find something to do that would allow me to train for football, to be honest, uh, and not have to go work at Baskin Robbins. Um, <laughs> but, uh, over time I realized that I really enjoyed the personal challenge of throwing this steel ball. Like it's the silliest, stupidest thing, uh, on face value, people look at it and you did, you did what? And then as I got older, um, you know, the next question was you wait, you do that full time. Yeah. It's what I do professionally. And, um, you know, that was a shock there to them, but, uh, I kind of feel like a lot of people dismiss going back to sort of the earlier conversation about, you know, a lot of what we do as athletes, as individuals is what happens behind closed doors. People don't recognize greatness until they see it. So the only time they see it is when you go out there and you actually establish yourself as a threat, as world-class, as whatever that benchmark you're shooting for is. So there's this notion that like even Usain Bolt is an overnight success. No, Usain Bolt was a phenomenal is a phenomenal sprinter. He's the best. He will be probably the best sprinter in the world for the world has seen for many years. Um, but when he was eight, nine, 10, 11, or six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, however old he was when he first started sprinting formally or even informally, he was out there running when nobody else was running. He was out there winning those races that nobody else was tracking. And that's kind of how it is. And that's kind of how I've always been with all my sports and everything else that I, I jump into. Like you work hard for those moments where maybe at some point people will see it and people will recognize what you've done. Um, it's not the reason why you do it. You do it because there's that personal challenge. There's that, there's that you enjoy the process. You love this thing that I call the struggle. And you got to understand that there's no guarantees when you enter this struggle, like there's no guaranteed outcome. There's no guarantee that just because, you know, you <laughs> going back and I'm jump, jumping around a little bit, but John, you were talking about these, these, some of these parents and how they're like, Oh, my son is, or my daughter is the next, whatever. And you're like, they're five. Um, I think it's, 
I think it's a, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I, I hope that parents out there understand that like, if you don't teach your kids to love and enjoy the act of action, sports, training, running, jumping, throwing, whatever it is, they're probably going to be lazy sacks of shit for the rest of their lives. Um, that doesn't mean they won't be successful and happy. It just means that they won't care for an active lifestyle. So when I think, when I worked with kids, uh, when I ran a facility, like my number one goal between the ages of like five and let's say 10 or 11 or 12, when they do, there's maybe some desire or, or purpose to start specializing a little bit um, is to say, look, until you get to this age or to this level, it really is about developing an appreciation for sports, for training, for exercise, for movement, making sure that you know how to, like the basics, the fundamentals of all athleticism. And um, that's not to say you can't have fun and, and push the competition stuff, but I think that so many of these parents these days, like I, I hear it all the time, like, you know, my favorite conversation I ever had with one of our potential clients who I turned down was with a parent of an 11 year old girl who was in gymnastics. And she said, he comes in and he says, she just needs to work harder. I'm like, what is she doing right now? She's training six hours a day, five days a week at the gym. Um, but you should watch her. She can do like 600 kettlebell swings in a row without breaking. And I'm like, so I don't know if there's more work that you can do here. That's going to help your daughter. And, uh, my suggestion to you is to actually give her two days off a week and let her, you know, go play and be a kid. But, um, uh, you know, the, at the end of the day, like, uh, it's a tough road. We walk as parents, like you're going to mess up your children in some way. Like so, <laughs> my, my dad used to tell us, my dad used to tell us all the time as we got older, he said, I, I, I have to, I, I, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have made my, my ambitions yours. Um, I wouldn't have pushed my, my, my ambitions and my, my desires onto you guys. Um, and I, I think we all ended up okay uh, uh, on balance. Uh, I don't have any daddy issues that I claim or recognize. So, um, but uh, anyway, it was kind of a weird little. No, I mean, it, uh, there. <laughs> it's called the vortex. We just had the vortex yeah. people. I have three yeah. kids. And uh, I remember um, when I was, learned that my wife is pregnant with twin girls. I've got a uh, knife too. Oh, nice. It's, uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of my fidget. Uh, uh, so the, uh, but long story short, uh, like when I found out I was having daughters, I, uh, you know, I grew up with all brothers. I like, there was the only girl we had in our family was my mom. So, and, uh, you know, so like I remember, uh, reaching out and trying to read all these books, like, you know, strong fathers, strong daughters, this whole deal and how, how you raise them. And, uh, you know, felt like I did okay. At least I had, a, I was armed with enough information where, um, you know, that hopefully I won't screw them up. I remember just the one thing that was like, if you can do one thing with your daughters is as long as they know that daddy loves them, a lot of things will fix itself. And it's like, they talked about all like, you know, insecurities and this and this and how it all stemmed from that. Like, you know, their father's approval. And if you tell your daughter, like, you know, daddy loves you and you, you know, uh, treat her well and like, you know, you raise them to be confident, uh, you know, secure women. So I like read all this stuff. And then I, uh, you know, my friend and my wife's pregnant, we're having a little boy. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to do the same thing. And I actually reached out to a bunch of, uh, dads that I had, you know, people we'd had on the podcast, people that would have, uh, you know, successful, uh, you know, people that we would deem as successful. And I remember, uh, after about the fourth guy I spoke with, I asked him the same questions. And one of them was any regrets. And, uh, every one of the fathers who had, um, 
very, very successful children, kids that went on to be lawyers, doctors, you know, uh, high-level Olympic athletes. I mean, everyone, every one of the dads uh, kind of paused for a second. They said the exact same thing. I wish I wasn't so hard on my children. And then I spoke to other dads whose kids had, um, you know, either drugs or, you know, problems or hadn't really uh, reached, uh, you know, their potential and had more problems. And those dads said the exact opposite. I should have been harder on my kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back and like having that deal, I, I, you know, people are always like, oh, don't be so hard on your kids and this. And I think uh, it's kind of interesting. Like people try to raise their, you know, boys and girls the same way. And I don't think you can. I think with your daughters almost, you got to like, remember daddy loves you and your boys. I think you got to push them a little bit. And, yep. um, you know, so I think with like that stuff, like, you know, uh, with my daughters especially, like I'm, I'm constantly trying to, you know, almost like play this kind of game of like, you know, hey, like, let, let's do this. Let's have fun this way. Let's, you know, try a little competition because there's mm-hmm. two of them that compete and everything. And I think with like maybe with your little boy, like, you know, they got to see dad go out and do these things. Like that's why we built the, you know, the the gym at the house and have, you know, uh, you know, this facility because I want my kids to come up and watch. I want them to see, to meet people like you and to have, the, you know, people come through and train and do different things. And so that they're always exposed to it. So they realize this is what mommy and daddy does. This is, this is what we do. And this is just considered normal. Cause I mean, kids kind of grow and they, they kind of start to understand what the routine of it is. And if the routine is, you know, dad comes home and drinks, you know, 18 beers and, you know, passes out at seven o'clock on the couch, watching TV with, you know, Cheetos on his face. Then, like, they think that becomes the norm. And not necessarily that's a bad thing, but not every night. Uh, uh, I think it's a bad thing. Yeah, you know, the Cheetos, at least. Yeah, the Cheetos, not the <laughs> but, like, but then, you know, like, it's... It's, it's 7 o'clock? 7 o'clock? Yeah. Yes. In the morning, in the morning. Okay, there you go. Yeah. But, like, you know, and then the kids will be like, <clears throat> tell stories and be like, you know, dude, my, uh, you know, my dad and his friends would lift weights in this garage. And then they'll be like, well, who are your dad's friends? And then all of a sudden you like, you know, and it's kind of similar it's for the me. the A-team rolls up. <laughs> yeah. Except the van, it's a beat up fucking 80s blazer. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, Your kids grew up in the Hall of Justice. Yeah, and, and you know what? And they should. <laughs> because, uh, like, I always think, like, you know, and uh, I, I always appreciated that, like, when we were out at Summer Strong, uh, you know, Bert getting up and, you know, seeing that history and talking and, like, meeting his dad and thinking, like, what a very cool, rich environment to grow up for, for that kid. I mean, you know, for Bert to grow up in this whole thing and to see these, you know, contemporaries and friends of his father and this. And, like, I had a ton of respect listening to that whole story about how he's honored his family and, um, yeah, I mean, that to me is, is, is everything. And then being able to, uh, you know, not only show the kids, but like have them grow up and assume that that's the norm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I'm always amazed, like, um, so I, when I graduated from Berkeley, I graduated early and I student taught, uh, and worked on my master's in education. And I had to do uh, student teaching down in Oakland and Berkeley public school district. And it was always interesting, like going in and doing reading models and trying to assess these kids and help them and like realizing that, you know, 70% of them really couldn't read anywhere near the level at which they were at school. And uh, just talking with them about what normal was. That was a big thing for me. I'm like, okay, so give me an example of your day. And then like listening to what their norm and like, oh, is that normal? Yeah, that's normal. Like, and it just always kind of blew me away that normal is, you know, like nobody knows what normal is. Normal is what you go through every day. And then, you know, your perception, what I think of what was normal for me isn't normal for them. Did you say, uh, I don't know if you said it or maybe I heard it on another podcast, but as a kid, everything's normal. You know what I mean? Like there's a certain point where... And I guess that's kind of what you're getting at. Now you look back and you just like, you think of kids who are in such shitty situations and it's like, well, everything's normal when you're that age. Well, you know, you don't have that perspective to, to compare or contrast and establish an opinion on, oh f- shit, everything's fucked. Well, the, the one that always kind of strikes me is, uh, I, uh, 
I don't know why I, I like it because I'm not necessarily a Ben Affleck fan, but uh, we watched The Accountant mm-hmm. and like that whole situation where, you know, and I think the reason I like that is because, you know, the kid's obviously, you know, on the autistic spectrum, but has kind of found a way to like, you know, angle and use what he's given in terms of this really unique skill set. And so I kind of appreciate that a lot. But um, watching that movie, I mean, there's a situation where like, you know, the kid has, you know, on the autistic spectrum and the dad just, you know, people like, hey, come bring him to school. This how we knew him. And the dad's like, no, he just needs more of this. And, you know, like as I'm watching that as a father, you're thinking to yourself, wow, like is that, how fucked up was that dad to see that that kid had this disability, but yet he was going to try to drive it out of him. I mean, it's pretty yeah, interesting. So, But I think there's lots of examples if you think about it. Like uh, I, I remember hearing about an example about, a, um, gosh, was it, I forget what the, uh, there was a story I heard recently about a kid that was born with a one, it wasn't uh, cerebral palsy, but it was some, uh, some degenerative neurological disorder that has, it's one of those things where whatever it is, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head anymore, but uh, as, over time, he's going to lose more and more control of his body. His brain will still function fine, but he won't be able to process words and this and that. And the story, the way it's told is a uh, way it was related to me is that basically his parents recognized this. They went to the first doctor and the doctor said, he's going to be this way. He's going to be basically, you know, don't worry. I mean, he's going to die at at this age. He's not going to be a contributing member to society. And the parents basically said, no, I'm going to reject that reality for my child and push to have the exact opposite. So they surrounded him with, and they had the resources to do this, but they literally surrounded him with like a full-time physical therapist, uh, some sort of uh, occupational therapist, if you will, to, to help with some of the refine the motor skills and stuff like that too. But they pushed and pushed and pushed. And they would basically say, you can do something. You can do whatever it is you want to do. This is going to be um, an obstacle for you to overcome. It's a condition that you have to live with, but it's not a problem. And I think that's the, you know, one of the most powerful stories to me kind of going back to summer strong was to hear crispy talk. Um, you talk about a guy uh, who has faced um, adversity that I swear, I hope I never even have to even come close to experiencing. And it's an adversity literally that he wears on his sleeves, his face, his ears, his mouth, his nose, every part of his body shows the pain and trauma that he's experienced. If you're looking for an excuse, he has thousands of thousands and all of them are perfectly legitimate as to why he should not be a productive member of society or capable of doing the things that he does. Nobody would think twice if he decided he wanted to live in a wheelchair and ne- or never get out of bed and just be a drunk, nobody would think twice about it. Yet he has the mental fortitude to say, I am not going to let this particular thing change or, 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 or limit me. I'm going to use it as a way to build my, I, I, as a challenge to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push through this. And as he said, crispy the fuck on. And I, I think that there are like that lesson right there, we all have those challenges. Um, some of them are environmental and beyond our control. Some of them are self-created. All of them are perfectly real. But if you're one, if you're a person who looks for an excuse, who looks for a reason why, you know, why you should be, why you're the victim and why you're, you're never as good as you should be or could be, um, every one of those excuses is perfectly legitimate. Just going to say that in your, in your own mind. But I reject that. And I think that um, people told me that I was too small, I was too slow, I was too this, too that, to do what I did as a thrower. And 
I believe that we all have a minimum threshold of ability, you know, and maybe that start, that's the starting point. If it's so low, like, honestly, like you got to kind of be real about it too. Like the fact of the matter is I'm six feet tall. The average basketball player is probably six foot seven. It's going to be very rare for me to make that, to make that transition, to make, to make that a goal and actually accomplish it to be a professional basketball player. But if I have the minimum threshold of ability, then it's a question about desire, determination, and my own personal framework. So how I see myself and the limitations that I put on myself is as important uh, as the work that I do. I never would set limitations on myself. People would say, well, you know, I can remember like as a freshman in high school, people like, well, you can't, or as an eighth grader, when I first started really training and lifting, people like, oh, you can't bench 225 as a, as a freshman. Why not? Because nobody here has ever, we've only had one person in the history of our school do it beginning of my freshman year, I do it. You can't do 400 pounds, uh, bench 400 pounds as, as, as we was all bench based. This is what the, you know, this is a sign of the times, um, back no, in 19- I'm totally with you because, uh, <laughs> I remember, I remember as a freshman, one of the dudes benching 200 and it might as well have been a million. Like, it oh was, yeah. yeah. So unattainable. Right. And then people would say the same thing about 400 pounds or 315 was the next one. And then 405 was the next one. And then the next one was 500 after that. And then 585 and, and things like that. And like, if you accept, I mean, obviously you got to be, there's a, there's a, there's a point where diminishing returns kick in. You just can't get any better. You're, you're at this level right here. Uh, and it's relative, right? Based off what your minimum threshold of abilities are. But like, I truly believe that, um, you know, I grew up in an environment where, you know, my dad would challenge me. My mom would challenge me. My brother would challenge me. Uh, my sister would challenge me, but they'd all do it in a way where it wasn't saying you can't do that. It was like, show me, prove it. Let's see it. You know, don't just talk about it. Let's do it. And, what happens over time is you develop this personality, this, and I won't say you're bulletproof. Um, maybe, maybe you think you are when you're younger, but the reality is you start setting these objectives, these goals, and you start finding a way to accomplish those goals. And everybody looks at you and says, that was impossible. And then they look for a way to take you down a notch. Like, you know, for example, I can't tell you how many, how many times I was accused by people, usually not to my face for taking drugs, never took drugs. I saw it three times, maybe four times in my entire career saw somebody actually using steroids or where it was offered to me. I competed in power sports for 20 something. Well, really, if I go back to when I started 30 years, but for 20 years, and I only saw it really on two or three occasions. Um, and people would, people would accuse me of it. And I'd say, I'd look at them and say, well, thank you very much. Cause clearly I'm doing something that you don't think you can do. And I'll just tell you this. It's about all those hours, all that time, uh, that, uh, you're not here. You're not watching what I'm doing, that these results are, are, are happening. This is why I can do this stuff. So, um, I just, I, I kind of summing it all up. I, I feel like there's like, if you're looking for an excuse, the world's going to give you plenty. Um, that's kind of a cliche, but it's true. Uh, and it's up to you to build the right mental framework that says, um, I'm going to maximize or optimize the abilities that I have. And where that takes me, I may not know, but it's a hell of a lot farther than everybody else is going to think. So I think if you, that's, 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 if you can do those two things and do them well and, and, and not experience self-doubt or, or, or destruction, uh, you're going to amaze people with what you can accomplish because they'll all underestimate, you know, underestimate your abilities anyway. So I guess it, it sounds like the framework 
within the family dynamic for you something that was a catalyst for success, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, when uh, when you hear your old man say, you know, I wish I didn't push you or, you know, impose my, uh, my desires on you as much as I did. I mean, do you like look at him, shake your head and be like, what are you talking about? You know? No, I agree. Make you feel know, guilty. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, right. Like, you know, no. but also like, think about your dad. I mean, here's a situation where, you know, how hard is it to be like, yeah, you know, you're not going to make it. We got to pick something else. And then you go in and you pick track and, you know, they're able to excel and go on and, mm-hmm. you know, compete at the super high level. You think your dad's like, I totally knew it. Or like, <laughs> God, I'm glad that one didn't worked out that, the yeah. way. Didn't yeah, see I didn't that see one that one coming, yeah. you know. And uh, like that's kind of the the interesting thing. And I think, uh, you know, you, like I said, like you have kids, it's this kind of deal. You have your, you know, like, you know, my daughters are five. My little boy's almost, you know, a year and a half. And you're thinking like, God, I hope they turn out okay. You know, and you think like, like, uh, you know, like I hope to God that, uh, you know, you, you teach them the right information. They make good decisions. Uh, you know, they hopefully go off and go to college. My daughter, she had the day told us that they never want to leave. They want to stay with us forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, then my other daughter told me that, uh, she wants to buy our house. Uh, but she doesn't want her sister to live with her. And then they argued. And then finally she's like, I want to live with her and her sisters. I was like, well, why don't you want to buy a house? And she's like, it's too much work. Having kids and buying a house is too much work. I just want to live with Killy. And like, it's just this like hilarious dynamic. And you're thinking to yourself, God, I hope they're okay. And, uh, you know, like, and, and I, I wonder if that's every parent is like, the you know, parents are like, Oh, my kid's going to be on the Supreme court and this. And I'm like, I just hope they make it out of here alive. That's it. Well, it's, that's so funny. So my oldest uh, is eight. My youngest is five, uh, six. Um, they're both girls. And uh, the funny thing is, um, like, my oldest loves to read. Like, she started reading when she was, and no joke, and I won't take any credit for it. She just started reading when she was, like, 12 months, 18 months old. Like, wow. she's just she's just a reader. And um, my youngest likes to jump. Like, she loves to run and move and roll and um, they're completely different personalities and it's funny. We, so my oldest has, we, we just moved to Houston not too long ago. And so my oldest is going to soccer practice. Uh, you went to her first, so it's just to go try out. I don't know what a tryout is for an eight year old, but, um, she went and played with the kids with the teams, the other kids her age. Um, and my oldest is, she has a tendency to, to be a little lazy, like physically, but not in any other aspect of her life. But when she gets into a team environment, she, she will push herself harder than, than we could ever push her. And so it's like, Lacey, my, my wife and I were talking and I'm like, you know, I think it's good to be in a bigger group of people because we were in a smaller town and like literally there were like six girls on her soccer team. And, you know, if one of them decided they were going to be a pain in the ass, the whole group was a pain in the ass. And uh, this one's got like 18 on them, you know, 18 to 20. So it's, it's a, different dynamic and you can see how she rises to the occasion when peer pressure starts to push her harder and i think it, like my wife and i talk about like the difference between her and our youngest like and i'm like you know she's eight like our oldest is eight she hasn't set any life like habits yet and as you were alluding to at the first of the at the first of the uh the podcast here john like she's not five, but like, you don't know what she's going to be in five years from now and 13, 14, 15. And if you do the, if you look at the research on, on uh, specialization of sports, then most of that was done by the East Germans and the Russians 40 years ago. They did, they just believed like up until 
you know, 12, 13, 14, depending on what path you thought you were going to try to take them down. Uh, you just wanted to be generally like interested in sports, like go learn the basic movements and then specialize really starting at 14 for most sports. There were two or two or three sports that were a little bit different. Gymnastics, yeah, like gymnastics, yeah. um, gymnastics and, and swimming for females was, was the other one. But, um, well, but I, like, I think it was at, um, not to cut you off, but I think that, no. that the, neuromuscular and the physical pathways that they needed for them to be successful in swimming. They had to develop for girls at a younger age. Mm -hmm. Uh, and same with gymnastics. Like it was such a, uh, a high amount of volume. And as you know, like, um, my girls take gymnastics and like they do more like the recreational club stuff, not the competitive, uh, just cause I, when I, when I watch the competitive, it's like four hours a day, four to five days a week, starting at like six years old. Yeah. And I'm like, this is insane. And, uh, we, yeah. did, we, so we were, my youngest likes gymnastics and we're going through this right now, trying to find a gym for her. And I remember my wife was telling me the other day, so I called this one, one, uh, gym and yeah, they're supposed to be one of the better gyms in Houston. And we're like, okay, well, we'll see what this is about. And the first thing, like literally she said like this, well, second thing other than how old is she and how tall is she? This is the third thing. Well, she, she's still young enough that we can stunt her. What do you mean? Yeah. Well, we can stunt her growth, and that's yeah, uh, just not yeah. inducing a, yeah uh, high volumes of exercise. Yeah, will, uh, effectively like ret uh, retard and like slow down puberty and growth mm -hmm. and all. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And it, it's unfortunate. I mean, the thing about gymnastics, and you were talking about like like why is it you know, they've got to master the fundamentals, but also the next level up of the fundamentals and the fundamentals to the point where they don't have to think about them, so that they can actually do things like express the uber creative like moves. So when you see like the Olympic level gymnast and they're doing, you know, quad, I'm making stuff up, but quadruple flips on the beam or something like that, that's because they've done 10,000 times, like multiple times of 10,000s of single flips on it. They don't have to think about those things so that then they can spend their, their actual, their, their actual energy when they're actually doing something uh, on the stuff that's actually really hard. And so that's like, as you progress up the chain and it's like this with it, with every sort of belt or, or leveled up sport, whether it's gymnastics or, or martial arts, you know, you've mastered whatever the minimum threshold is of skills that you need. And that stuff is just second nature. That's why, like, you know, when you're talking about Rudy earlier, like, what do you worry about Rudy? Well, if he really snaps, like, you know what he's capable of, like he's been there and he's done that and you don't want to have to rely on the right of might, uh, to, yeah. to stop that. You no, just dude, want to get I, away I from that. The, so. the fucking hammer of Thor down. <laughs> the Terminator uh, and the Eliminator. Uh, I mean, you got backup right here, John. Don't worry about as it. I, as I told Bert, I'm like, you know, uh, um, I always joke. I'm like, I have a very unique skill set and I've dealt with dangerous people my entire life. And, uh, when I can, I got a good spider sense. And when I could see things escalating, I realized that, uh, I'm going to fucking escalate this very quickly. Cause I'm going to, you know, cause also, uh, there's mm -hmm. two types of people, people in stressful situations tend to like, you know, get really emotional. And then there's other people like me who, as the stress goes up, actually my, uh, um, like the calm goes down. Like I get really extremely like everything's very lucid and calm and like very slow and like as like it, it's almost like the faster the car drives the slower it happens for me so all of a sudden as i can see the emotion coming up all of a sudden my emotion drops and i'm like <laughs> i'm like if this thing gets fucking ugly we're not gonna get this podcast done all right let me get <laughs> it's gonna be a different podcast than what it is <laughs> oh, coming to you from the emergency room oh dude uh, yeah it was uh and then he even said he's like hey thanks uh things almost got a little weird i'm like well yeah they did but you know what we're gonna move past that now and we're yeah. gonna get over here but no man, it's it's uh it's kind of interesting with um with just like 
I think you have to let people like, and this is probably a, a, you know, a great metaphor for coaching, especially, but also for parenting is this idea of like, you have to be able to provide the opportunity. So I have to put out like, if you know, you want your kids to be like you said, like, uh, um, you know, gymnasts or whatnot, or even, you know, in, involved in track and field and these things, you have to be able to provide them the opportunity to, you know, be exposed to these things, whether it be in person, do it themselves, TV, whatever it becomes. And you have to give them the opportunity to, to, to work on it, to suck, to be good, and then see if they have aptitude and they want to do it. And then be able to, you know, kind of bring them along and foster and, uh, you know, set it up. And I think it's always interesting where, you know, I, I had years ago, I had this dad show up and he wanted me to train his son. And he asked me uh, if I could guarantee that he would get a college scholarship to play football. He's like, I'll pay you $10,000 today if you can train my kid for the next four years, if you guarantee he can give him a scholarship. And I'm like, what's a guarantee? He's like, well, if, if he doesn't, you got to get the money back. <laughs> I was like, I was like, and I'm, I'm and I, the first question I asked this dad, I'm looking at the kid, I'm like, uh, how tall, uh, like, how tall is your mom? He's like, oh, I don't know, like I'm five four. I'm like, well, your dad's like five eight, and I'm like, you got like a uncle, a granddad, or somebody like legendary in your in your lineage back there that was probably six seven, six eight that used to break fucking you know tree trunks over his knees like sticks, and they're like, no, and I'm like. Oh. Well, you know, uh, I'm uh, not, we're all booked. I'm, so you're I'm gonna... not saying that it's impossible, but like, you know, um, improbable. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, was I good at playing football? Yeah. Did I, you know, like, was being six six, three hundred pounds helpful? One hundred percent. I, I could like, if if I was five ten, two twenty five, with my same skill level, I would have never got an opportunity to go play in the NFL. So, like, let's be realistic. Yeah, but you get a job at Navistar. <laughs> so that's true. That's my corporate gig, Adam. So the uh, you know, and and like, and I, I always think like um, you probably and like maybe as a parent, like this is a big thing. Like you have to like provide your kid enough opportunity and enough like shoot for the stars type of deal, and maybe a dose enough of like reality to kind of like wrangle and kind of push them, being like, hey, you know, like your dad, like, hey, maybe maybe baseball's not the best for you. Let's try something else. And you know what? This track and field looks pretty good. Like I think mm-hmm. you should give that a shot. And then you're like, oh, okay, Dad, let's do this, and be like, all right, well, let's you know, let's make something out of it. I, I think I think that's that's true. I think one thing that you know, if I'm looking back at my own experiences, like my my parents never tried to protect me from failure, um, and I think that's really important uh, as well. Um, we're all gonna we all experience failures of different levels, and if you are afraid of it, if you're if you have real fear of failure, you probably are never going to be successful. Because if you want to push for those big goals, you have to understand that one of the one of the things that accompanies that is the real real possibility of failure. And uh, you know that's that's something I think early on my parents just basically said, "Look, you you failed, so let's move forward. What did you learn from it, and and, and go forward." And and doing that, it also allowed me to develop. Um, more confidence in myself and understanding where my limitations may or may not be. And then also the ability to say, I know I can do this and push through this and this is how I'm going to do that. And, you know, part of that too, I mean, when you start going down this pathway, um, people set these unrealistic expectations. And usually at at the the younger ages, it's, it's the parents setting the expectations for the kids. Like my kid's going to be the next Michael Phelps. Well, there's only been one of those in the last 120 years you know, probably not going to happen again with your child, but you could buy some lottery tickets too. Um, well, you know, so, and, and I always tell people the, uh, people like, Oh my kids, me next Michael Phelps. I'm like, well, you know, Michael Phelps is going to have a son and he has a pretty good chance of becoming the next Michael Phelps. 
but he's uh, like. But even and, he has and, a yeah, fucking. And, yeah. I mean, that's a wow. tall fucking order. Like, you, you know, and, and that's another interesting thing, too, for, uh, you know, and I always think for, uh, you know, for guys that I've met that have that have had successful athletic careers. How do you like temper that with uh, like your children? Like, you know, I remember when um, I told my dad, you know, my dad didn't play football and, you know, he started working when he was pretty young and, you know, became an attorney and just other things. But, uh, um, you know, there wasn't really anything to live up to. And I remember I went to school with, um, you know, Art Shell, who was the head coach of the Raiders and probably one of the you know best offensive linemen to ever play. I went to school with his son. And I remember like there was always this weird thing and he wasn't tall and big like his dad. He was kind of, you know, shorter running back, but he always had this like thing to live up to. And I remember thinking like, fuck man, that's a tough shadow to be in. Like, how do you, you know, uh, like how do you step away and not cast that big shadow or, you know, I mean, but like you, you look at a guy like Howie Long, whose sons have, um, you know, all gone mm-hmm. and played in the NFL, but I mean, not as good as their dad. I mean, which is, you know, I mean, his dad's one of the best to ever play, but I mean, solid, solid players and guys go play in the NFL. So like, uh, you know, but then there's, you know, uh, you constantly run into NFL guys like John Runyon, who I played with, you know, his son plays in Michigan, mm-hmm. these guys. And I think they're, <clears throat> this whole thing, every time I ever talk to them, it's always just like, hey, man, I want them to do whatever that makes them happy. You know, whatever they have aptitude, whatever they're good, I'm not going to push them to do anything. And I always think like that's a, it's kind of an interesting deal. Like if you, as a competitive person, like you've kind of lived that life a little bit and you see it in your own kids, you kind of almost kind of like, you know, temper it a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't have a, I mean, I think my general response to that is I don't really, as long as my kids truly enjoy what they're doing, and I know this is kind of a cop out at some level, but if they enjoy what they're doing, that's one thing. But if they're also going to do something, I want them to commit to it and want to be the best. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're going to be the best, but if I see them working hard and, and pushing as hard as they can at whatever level they're at, like to me, that's all I ask. Um, I, I don't like going back to early people like, well, do you, you know, are you cold? Are you trying to make your daughters great throwers or anything? No, if they want to be throwers, it'll, they'll find it later on. I just want them to have a love and appreciation for, for hard work and sports and active lifestyle and all this other stuff. And sometime down the road, they may say, Hey, I want to get better at this sport or I want to do this and I will invest in them. And when they come to me and do that, like, I think that's, that's when, you know, so I just, I let them know, like, look, we'll, we're going to give you all the resources you need to be great. Um, but you're going to have to, at some point, tell us what it is. And they're eight, six, you know, six and eight. So it's not like that's an active conversation all the time. You sort of let them know, you know, you, you celebrate the little victories that they have. Like, oh, you, you stole a ball from that girl on the soccer field. That, you know, good job. Or they, they hustled the whole day. Like those are the, like the fundamentals. Like, wow, your running looks great. Your jumping looks great. You hustled all day long. I just, I think, uh, I think those conversations will come to you. You don't necessarily have to force them. Um, that said, it drives me batshit crazy when I see my daughter out there and she's she's not hustling, and I'm like, I cannot tolerate that. <laughs> a funny funny story, like so I coached my oldest daughter uh, her the last two years in soccer. I don't know a damn thing about soccer, and um, but uh, it's a small team, and there's only there are only like four teams in the little league that the rec league that we were playing in, and um, it was like the first game, and again like. I, I think it was, I had to take a step back, but this was hysterical. So I'm, 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 I'm talking the whole time. I'm cheering them on, yelling the whole game. Like, all right, let's go hustle. That's good. 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 You're trying to get the positive spin. And they're all out there and the ball just kind of stops in the middle of them. And there's like four of our 
they've all, they're still, we're still fighting the whole cluster ball thing. You know, there's this tendency for young kids. They want to just get all, all around the ball. They don't appreciate being in open space and those things. And I don't know how to coach that at this point at all. Um, Cause I didn't play soccer, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying something similar. Like, Hey, kick the ball, kick the ball. And each time I say it, it gets louder and louder. And I, I can be a very loud guy. And all of a sudden I yelled, somebody kick the ball. Like it was so annoying because they just, they were just all looking at it, watching it. And I yelled it so loud that literally the whole field stopped. <laughs> the ref looked over at me, the whole sideline with all the parents on the other side stopped and looked at me. And I was like, I am that guy. I did it. <laughs> just so, own it, know? baby. So, and it, but I had to take a step back from it because I realized like that's one of those instances where like I'm putting my own expectations on a bunch of six-year-olds at the time or seven-year-olds at the time. And, and that's just like that's where we have like it's, it's they're great intentions, but they're just totally misplaced. And I, I, you see that. Like, unfortunately, you see it all the time. And as long as you can be self-aware of it, I don't think you're going to run. I mean, the other thing is like, you know, you're not going to, you may live vicariously through your children to a certain extent, but like you've been there, you've done that. Like, you're not trying to prove anything to anybody by how great your kids are. You know, it's like my kids are going to be great because they want to, you know, because that's what they do, whatever. But they don't have to do it to please me. So I think a lot of parents run into that deal where it's like, you know, I had these shortcomings and my kids going to somehow right the wrongs and this. And like, for me, it's like, uh, you know, and I, I had a guy hit me up the other day, uh, on, uh, I forgot some social media platform that I have that was like, Hey, uh, you know, my son has been playing flag football. He wants to go on and play tackle football. He's, uh, you know, seven mm-hmm. years old. What do you think of it? <laughs> and uh, you know, like, I was like, ah, uh, you know, like, uh, like, you know, I wouldn't let my son play till I, 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 I didn't play till I was like 14 years old. I didn't play football till I got to high school. Um, and you know, for me, like the combat sports and fighting and boxing was like kind of what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I played basketball, baseball, you know, whatever it was. I mean, we did everything we surfed, we spearfished. I mean, we, you know, we, we did everything. I skateboarded and uh, skied. I mean, so like the thing about it is, um, there is so much time for specialization in these mm-hmm. things that like, I would never put my kid in a situation where like seven years old, you're going to play tackle football. I'll be like, we're going to go play every other sport. And, uh, you know, where I got that from was, um, there was a guy named Reuben Carter. He was a, a defensive tackle for the NFL and then also played, he was a coach for, uh, uh, Denver Broncos. I don't know where he's at now, but, um, I played football with his son and his son was a guy named Andre Carter who was a you know first round draft pick and played for you know about 12 years in the NFL. And, uh, Andre didn't play football till he was a senior in high school. Um, his dad, uh, you know, never pushed him to play. He, uh, he did like Taekwondo and Olympic lifting and a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, finally as a senior in high school, he said to his dad, he's like, you know, I think I want to play football. And his dad's like, okay, let's go out and work on it a little bit. So they went out and, uh, he's like, I'm going to show you, um, you know, this is how you pass the rush and whatever. And he said he picked it up in about 45 minutes because he understood hand fighting because he'd done Taekwondo. He understand about Olympic lifting with hip extension and all the other stuff, um, how to fight. Uh, he goes out and plays uh, senior football. Um, I think he was uh, had like you know some god awful amount. Ten games had like you know ninety four sacks or something. I mean un- <laughs> unblockable. Uh, gets a full ride to Cal. Comes in uh, and I play against him as a freshman. It's only his second year ever playing football. And the dude started for us and played. And he went on and was a first round draft pick, top ten pick. And then like the dude was absolutely a beast. He was like shredded, strong, fast, all these other things. I remember rapping with his dad, being like, "What's the deal?" He's like, "I knew all the skills." 
that he would need to be good at football without playing football. I just didn't want to push him to do the sport. I wanted him to find it naturally. I just wanted to make sure that he had the right raw material available to him. And he goes, when he decided that he wanted to do it and it was time and he had the aptitude, uh, it was just a matter of just, just, you know, changing some, uh, some inlet outlets, just change, you know, just replugging some things. And I always think like, uh, when people ask me about athletic development and it's really kind of one of those, uh, instances that's really shaped a lot of what we do here at power athlete, uh, with my idea of fostering and developing athleticism, that there is a, you know, skill set of movements that you can develop through sport as a young child, like, you know, whether jumping, running, you know, all these other things that you can create that if you create them properly in the right sequence, in the right order, and they're able to do them, you know, with enough repetition and opportunity that when you decide to specialize into something, you will have the groundbreaking skills like, um, you know, and like, whether it's, uh, you know, you think about, okay, something like <coughs> soccer, and, you know, and I, I hear this all the time with guys that played rugby. Uh, you know, the guys who pick up rugby later in life do not have the same aptitude as the kids that played it younger because they don't have, like, the same experience level. They haven't seen it as much, which is just same as football. I mean, you, you take anybody and throw them into a football situation that hasn't played it for a long time. There's a lot of nuances that they just don't pick up. Uh, you know, fighting's the same way. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, opportunity to do these things. So, but I think if you can develop uh, athletes and develop athleticism, then you can put them in any situation you want and mm-hmm. they'll be successful. And, uh, you know, the one that always struck me best was, um, and they actually did a visa commercial about it, was the gal who was the, you know, the, the Russian pole vaulter. And they, she, you know, had a growth spurt on, you know, she was on the uh, gymnastics team and had a growth spurt and she grew too tall for gymnastics and she was so heartbroken. They were like, we'll go out and track and she, you know, becomes one of the top pole vaulters in the world, which... If, like you said, you went out for pole vault. I tried to pole vault one time in high school on track. Uh, hands down, and I will say this deadpan, the, probably the, uh, the most demanding athletic sport ever is pole vaulting. I'm going to sprint as fast as I can with this fucking shaft, and I'm going to pinpoint accuracy, put it in the ground, lean back and hold on, and catapult my body over a fucking uh, implement 20 foot in the air. Like, it's insane. But, like, that level of um, athletic skill development – and then being able to kind of fine tune and focus it uh, at a later date, I think is really just the foundation of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And really just run into like whenever I get questions like that or people ask me, I'm like, why don't you just teach your, like you said, man, you said it earlier, like teach your kid to love a sport, man, of competition and move and run and jump and just like go out and swing from trees and, you know, dig in the ground and eat dirt and do all these things. Because at some point, like sport doesn't become fun. And at some point they're going to have to grow up. So enjoy it while they can. And I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. Like, uh, when people ask me, I'm like, dude, I, I did this thing for a long time. There was a, f- there was a lot of times it wasn't fun. So I want my kids to have fun at least. So they have that memory of it because I remember it being not fun. And, um, I, I'm, I'm very, very protective of that. I'm like, go out and do it, have fun, enjoy. And if there's not a smile on your face, we're going to find something else. So. Love it. Well, dude, Adam, thinking or talking about empowering kind of the youth athlete and amateur athlete and stuff, let's talk D10, this new thing that you're a part of. Yeah, so back in May, uh, May 1st, I actually made a move to Houston, uh, Texas. I'm now officially a Texan, although I don't have my new passport yet. Howdy, neighbor. Um, <laughs> hey, buddy. Y'all, y'all, y'all aren't too far away, although that's a long way away in most areas, a couple hours. So still stay in the same state. But um no, I'm fired up. Uh, this this company, what we do is we basically ha- we host and and, and uh, organize NFL combine style competitions called the D10. Uh, the events and not in the right order here, but there's a 400 meters, an 800 meter run, 
uh, a 500 meter row, a bench press rep test with 175, not 225. Uh, if you're if you're a woman, it's 75 pounds of vertical jump, a uh, 510, a 40 yard dash. Um, which ones am I forgetting? A football toss for distance. Um, I'm forgetting to. Um, but anyway, um, this is what happens when I do it out of order. Uh, I can't keep them all in line. But um, it's it's pretty awesome uh, what we're what we're doing. And so what we're looking for are, are athletes who basically, you know, they're after college usually. Um, they're usually very successful people. They're usually trying to. They usually were college athletes, and they're trying to find what else they can do out there. Some of these people may have tried CrossFit, but CrossFit has gotten so unattainable, unreachable for a lot of them that it's just not a healthy balance for them. Some of them may have tried to do Ironman, but they realize that they're six foot six and three hundred pounds, and that's just not a good thing for someone of any any significant stature. And we, they, they, they come and they do the events and they raise a bunch of money for the charities. We work with a group of uh, hospitals that are largely associated with a group called Poetic, which is the pediatric oncology. It's an experimental, experimental oncology treatment and investigative uh, uh, treatment, sorry, of, of cancer for, for, for kids. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, so we do an event in New York, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, and we're going to finish up in Houston. Um, it's been really interesting being a part of this community and jumping into this community. It's um, to me, uh, we're starting to measure and test the fundamentals of athleticism with some, you know, there's a little bit of a, a loose interpretation of that as well. So like somebody's going to come and rail me, Oh, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. Well, at some level we've got to, it's, it's gotta be something that people can do. So we also like the other events that I forgot were the dips and the, and the pull-ups. And so it's all, it's all fundamental sort of lifts, movements, jumps, running, throwing, things like that. Um, and I was actually talking to, um, our staff this past weekend, we were up in Chicago, just finishing up an event there. And it's a, it's our, it's our first real year in Chicago and we were able to raise a little over $130,000 for Rush's Rush University's medical cancer treatment center. And I was telling them, I said, you know, one of the things I love about what we're doing here is we're taking something that combines multiple passions and packaging them all up into one. There is a community aspect of this. There's a, there's a training or healthy living aspect of this. And then there's this sort of cause based, um, social awareness, um, that, uh, is sort of ties it all up. And one of the things, like when I start thinking about what, uh, my experiences are with the Olympics in particular is like the spirit of Olympism. Um, it was not always about winning. It was about in, like this process and how rewarding this process can be. And so now what we're able to do is give people, um, an anchor to, to, to compete for and train for, and we give them lots of information uh, to help their training uh, and help them optimize their, their performances actually at the event. Um, and then we add incentives as well. So um, one of the things that we do is you, you each, each athlete has to raise money, a specific a minimum amount of money um, for, for the, uh, for the charity that we work with. Uh, and then we have these things called sliding donations, which are performance-based donations. So when you get in there, like for example, this weekend um, we had, uh, we had a kid who, had set the bench press as this marquee event and he had to hit, you know, 14 reps, I think is what it was uh, for him to maximize his sliding donations, which effectively was $15,000. So each rep beyond his minimum, which was 10, you know, you could prorate that $15,000 over those last four reps, anything like each one of those reps matters. 
And, and so it's really cool because we give people a deeper motivation and deeper purpose and, and a little bit more of a, um, it's a bigger, it's, it's not just about training just to get healthy and, and fit, you know, you can sort of simplify it as like, this is for the kids. Um, this is for more than just me. And all these people have been touched by cancer at some level for the most part. Um, and, uh, to tie it back to my Olympic experience, like my Olympic experience was never about money. My Olympic experience was never about taking an easy path. My Olympic experience was about a personal challenge and sort of living up to these ideals of sportsmanship and, and whatnot that uh, Pierre de Coubertin espoused over 120 years ago. And, and uh, I haven't, since that time, since I, since I stopped competing full time, I haven't necessarily been able to find something that marries my love of sport, my love of strength, strength training, and also provides a deeper purpose um, until I started working here. And um, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's perfect, there are definitely flaws with it, but we're working through it. But it's it's pretty awesome to be part of a community that is uh, really pushing into giving a healthy event, a sustainable event, something that people can train for that don't want to do road races and triathlons and such like that, um, and also raise awareness and support uh, for a cause. So, like when you when you talked about uh, the symposium, y'all symposium in December, uh, and Wade's it's uh, Wade's it's Wade's Army. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, it rang a bell with me. Um, and I think that that's something that, uh, more and more, uh, as we get older, we've become more aware of like, Hey, look, this is not just about me anymore. There's so many things I can do with the talents and skill sets that I have that can raise awareness and opportunities for other kids. And I'll just wrap it all up here. There was a doctor that presented at our event in Chicago and he said, he said it this way. He said, $20,000. That's what it takes to save one kid's life. We saved at least six this weekend. And that's just doing the stuff that I love doing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fucking cool. Yeah. So the fact that you guys are doing this stuff this uh, in December, uh, that's benefiting a pretty awesome cause uh, as well. It's going to have, you know, it, it's not just about, you know, you and your desire to build this awesome brand it's about building it in a way that creates a sense of community and the sense of giving back just doing the stuff that we love to do and being around the people that we love to be around and that's just a win-win that's a triple win there for for me anyway so i'm I'm fired up about what i'm doing now and i'm really fired up to be uh to be up in austin in december oh that's dude this is this looks this looks fun I can get behind this. Yeah. Dude, come on. I'm telling you, I think we got to get team power athlete out there, John, and we'll put you obviously on bench press and then Tex and I'll handle the rest. Because you you can join as a team, right? You can join as a team. You can join as a team. And and I tell you what, uh, you, I I would love to hear it. Actually, I would love to see you guys come to the Houston event. It's November 4th. Um, so it's, it's a ways out. You could still get your training in if you really needed to. I mean, 175, what is that to you, John? That's nothing. That's it's heavy. It's heavy. I literally it's benched heavy. today, benched today and got 175 for four reps, four rep max. Did you really? No, fuck dude. I'm fucking monster. You know this, but we won't tell anyone what I got. <laughs> I 175 kilos you met, right? Yes. <laughs> I saw you working those jammers. Dude, those jammer declines. Oh, it's great. Dude, I, I, uh, uh, we, we were supposed to train at seven and I woke up at like five thirty in this fucking panic realizing that, uh, our first block one, which is, you know, we, we came out with the power athlete methodology, which was an online course 
and then we needed a way to like kind of get people educated in the method and then come and then we're you know going to go over and you know fucking evaluate yeah evaluate and make sure they're fucking good to go and uh, our first events in fi- in five weeks and i woke up at 5 30 and had this panic attack realizing it's in five weeks yeah there's, there's so work much, to do there's baby. so much work to get done so all of a sudden i'm like get up there i'm like all of a sudden i see like i pull up in the truck and luke's like uh you're not in workout clothes i'm like i gotta go to the uh, uh dealer's electric i got all this electric stuff to pick up and like yeah i got concrete to get and he's like well i'm like dude i had a panic attack we got five weeks he's like i freaked out about a month ago and you weren't even nervous now you're nervous <laughs> and i'm like yeah dude hold on we gotta get this shit done so we just got a lot of stuff to get done um we yeah like the uh I got tired of, um, you know, like whenever you go to a seminar or certification, whenever they give you yeah. some like fucking cheesy, uh, you know, piece of paper with your name on it and you hang it on the right. wall or stick it in a folder. So what I wanted to do is actually make something. And, um, when, uh, when we were in Newport beach, uh, next door, we had a little fab shop and I used to work on trucks and I learned to weld and fabricate there. And, uh, one of the deals we did is we, we made, uh, these, uh, little basically sheet metal steel blocks. And I always thought they were pretty killer. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make blocks. And if people pass the course, they're actually going to get like a metal block that's emblazed with a little power athlete insignia. And they can put that on their desk. And then hopefully if they go through the deal, they can kind of assemble the blocks into something. I love it. And, um, you know, the idea that like they could take home something that we physically made and gave them and said, hey, you know what? You passed it. You did it. You put in the effort. Like, I'm just not printing something out. Here's your block. And like, you can keep this forever. It'll never you know, it'll never tarnish. It'll never go away. It'll like, it'll never disintegrate. Like this thing will last forever. And so, uh, uh, like, like, so getting electric in the building so we can fire up the welders and start making these things. I'm like, man, I, how many people are coming to this thing? I'm like, Oh God, I gotta make 20 of these blocks. So it's, um, no, we, we got a lot of stuff to do, but I'm, uh, I'm excited for the challenge. And, um, it's, it, for me, it was, um, really, really kind of a, a surreal deal in that, when I retired from the NFL, uh, CrossFit hit me up about coming and teaching a seminar for them. They wanted to do a sports-specific offering of CrossFit, and I'd competed in the CrossFit Games, and you know had known enough about CrossFit, and they made a movie about it. And uh, so we came up with this thing called CrossFit Football, which was a terrible name in hindsight, but the reason that it's called football was because I played football. And uh, we taught this seminar, you know, hundreds of these, dude, for years to thousands of people. And the one thing that was universally true was how low a level of strength conditioning knowledge people had. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just, I mean, even basic things like, you know, muscle contractions and this. And and I always wished that there was a course that people could take before they showed up to the in-person deal so that we didn't have to fucking baby step. I could just hit the ground running and educate people on what I wanted them to know in. And the stuff that like, not NSCM, not NSCA, like things that are legitimate that you and I could talk about, like force production, like uh, compensatory acceleration, um, you know, the difference between, you know, being strong and explosive. I mean, just what I knew in terms of strength training that made a difference, uh, you know, speed and, and just all the key things that nobody ever talks about other than these little pieces. So I went through everything and all the all my information, everything that I'd always been taught, and I basically was able to like streamline it into if you showed up and you learned this information, we could have an intelligent conversation on strength mm-hmm. training, on athletic <clears throat> development, speed, power, strength. And so that's what we did online. And um, the idea was that as I taught all these seminars, I wanted these people to have this information. And whenever they'd ask me, you know, uh, you know, this was so amazing, where do I learn more? I'd tell them, like, hey, these are all these books you need to read. And they were, you know, and it was like, you know, Zadiskorsky and Berkashansky and just all the things that, uh, you know, uh, that you like, you know, that if you read it, you'd be like, oh yeah, this is, this is what everybody should know. And, um, 
wanted to give people just really a, a, a good groundwork. So we put everything online and, uh, you know, get through it when you pass it. Then we're going to come and we're going to check you out and make sure that you learned what you needed to do and that you're able to, uh, you know, demonstrate basic movements so you can go out and execute this stuff. Because the one thing, and you've seen this, man, like people, um, you know, every coach needs a coach, you know. And the one thing that kind of drove me crazy was when I, when I graduated from college, I felt like um, college was wasted on me in my youth. If anything, I wish I got to go work and then I wish I got to go to college at like 35 or 40 years old. Because uh, I would have sucked the marrow so much more out of this thing, like to go back and like you know the same thing. Like I just wished for those so uh, um, you know same opportunities. And I think what's been so uh, enlightening for me, especially with the podcast and what we're doing, is it's become so educational for me to be able to connect and hear and learn. And I actually look at this you know hour or two, whatever we do every week, is kind of like my own. Uh, you know, being able to sit in on, uh, you know, office hours or talk to somebody and, and, and increase the genealogy and reach out. And so it's been, uh, it's been killer, man. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited for all this. So it's, uh, the symposium is going to be a blast. Yeah, man, it's coming together. Well, and I'll tell you what, I've, as, uh, John was ranting, I'm doing my research and I'm really going through my mental Rolodex. Who's going to be on my team here Four member <laughs> squad, top two events scored. I mean, People, this looks awesome. You got to head to thed10.com, and I think we got it. I think we got to do it, man. This sounds like this sounds fun. Uh, the fourth, go to the board. I think it said Kylie Wong was on the board. Kylie Wong is one is on our board locally here in Houston. He's a piece of work. Good yeah. guy. He's a Stanford guy. He is. Yeah, you guys, guy. You guys well, have a Berkeley guy. So I know y'all. It's like. Blood yeah, Wars, right there. Yeah, that's like yeah. It's, so I I know who Kylie, I played against Kylie Wong. This he he he's yeah. since retired, hasn't he? Yeah, no, he's he's doing great. Uh, he actually has a um, it's a recovery place here. They do they've got the the nitrogen cooling, and then they've got a guy that does like uh, stretching, um, and he owns just a little athletes recovery. I can't the Sweet. he calls it like the athletic. It's like the athletes training room or something like that. And he basically wants to share with the public what you guys had in the NFL or access to in the NFL, which is these awesome recovery services. And I think it's doing well. I haven't been down there in the last uh, few months. What's that? Do you get a tortle shot when you walk in the door? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that advertised, but I'm sure that's like me. <laughs> okay, well that 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 would be the secret to the NFL's recovery program. So like all these secret things, like is it a tortle shot? Because uh, man, I, that, yeah, the NFL got in trouble with that stuff though. That's where all those dudes yeah. started being like, it was the Tordal. I'm like, dude, that's the only way you motherfuckers got out there and played. <laughs> it got paid. Oh, well, dude. You know? So so the hilarious thing is after they give you the Tordal shot, they put a little Band-Aid on like where they stick you on your glute. And so you'd be in the shower and you'd like kind of look and you'd like see like every dude had the same fucking Band-Aid. And you'd be like, oh, you motherfuckers took the Tordal. They'd be like, oh, that vitamin T. And that's how guys got out and played, man. It's like uh, I remember uh, they used to, there was an anti-inflam called Vioxx. Mm-hmm. And uh, dude, Vioxx was like it made you feel invincible, and then they found Bomb. it was causing liver problems. So then they got rid of it, and so only when taking this... in extreme dosages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what's extreme? Like uh, three a day, every day for like ten years, you know? And uh, like uh, normally, so, what you'd prescribe, <laughs> yeah, just the normal stuff. So then there the became like this strange, funny black market for Vioxx. Where like yeah. this dude's like, man, I got a hundred Vioxx, and be like, oh, you know, like dudes are like selling the Vioxx off as like a black market. And I always think like, you know, j- just like when they banned ephedrine, that was another one. I remember uh, when I came in the NFL, dude, these dudes were over there like, you know, I thought they were freebasing ephedrine. I'm like, is that crack? Like, no, it's ephedrine. 
and then they ban that and you know they'll eventually ban everything so all the good stuff <laughs> all the good stuff yeah i'm telling you a little biox a little ephedrine and a tordal shot dude it's that's, time to go to the gym. Well, <laughs> that's the reason that I think guys got fucked up brains because they felt invincible and they were trying to run through dudes. Mm-hmm. That could be a fucking very well. I mean, very well the cause. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Adam, hey, man, thanks a lot. And again, people, the d10.com. Check, check it out. And then hey, got any ideas on uh, what we're going to talk about at the symposium? <coughs> oh, man, I'm working on something special. Is Ooh, it something fun. new? I'm trying to do something new because there's, you know, there's only so many times you can go tell, tell your story before, before I stop crying about it. Um, so. but, but here's the thing. It's such a good story. I heard it. And like, I'd, I'd, I'd heard it before and even hearing it in person, I'm like, God damn it. I, I just want to hear like, like, so what I want is I want you to come to my house and, uh, that's the morning prep speech when I'm firing up my coffee. I want to be like all of a sudden, like a light pan on you. So it's like Terry Tate office linebacker, except yeah, it's like, Adam Nelson. Like, it's totally black in my house. I go fire up and I hear like the coffee grinding and all of a sudden, like I see in the corner, like the light turns on. Wellborn. And it's like, Wellborn. It's Adam Nelson. Did I ever tell you? And I'm like, okay, let's fucking go. All right. I'll talk to you about no, perseverance, I, power. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I'm going to build on some of the things that we talked about today. Some of the things that I talked about at Summer Strong, but I'm going to try and do it in a new way. Um, I hope it'll be, I, I, in fact, I know it's going to be as meaningful as impactful because this is something, I mean, it's funny every time I do one of these speeches, um, I have some, some prepackaged stuff that I can spit out all the time, but I really like to make these types of things unique and, and special and fit the, fit the community exactly the way, um, you know, to, to where, to what it's at, like what, what we're actually talking to. So the same story that I might give at the summer strong is different someplace else. Um, but this one, I'm, I'm, I'm always tweaking it. I'm always tweaking it. And, and, you know, quite honestly, like when you tell stories of, when you tell your own story, uh, the emotions change over time and, and, and sometimes they change based off like what, what current events are too. So, um, I'll try not to be a hypocrite, but that sometimes happens. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but mostly I'm going to have fun with it and hopefully, uh, inspire and educate and share. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, people walk away feeling like, uh, like they uh, like they're ready to take on the world because I don't uh, have a doubt in my I mind. Can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, I, can't wait. I, I don't. That's that's my goal. I, I have very low goals. My goals aren't that big. <laughs> You're like you guys are medals, walking out of here, changing the kill? world, <laughs> world <laughs> so, domination. That's that, that's one I hope for every day. World exactly. domination. I don't know what it in yet, but we're just going to dominate in something. The truth, <laughs> Adam. Thanks, man. Honestly, thank you, listeners. Homework: powerathletehq.com slash symposium. Get your tickets while they last, and then check out the D10, man. That's it's it's gonna be killer. Uh, all right, man. Hey, again, appreciate your your time as always, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks a lot, fellas. Thank you. All right, thank See you, Adam. Yep. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. So if you haven't already looked up thed10.com, do it. I did not even know this competition existed, but it looks really badass. And the cause is definitely close to our heart because it's all to benefit the research of pediatric cancer. If you want to find out more about Adam Nelson, follow him on Instagram at adamnelson5376. And speaking of great causes, cancel all your plans for December 8th through 10th. Unless those plans were to attend the Power Athlete Symposium, then go ahead and rebook those plans and we will see you there. If you don't know what the symposium is, I'll try and sum it up in a few words. Empowering. Educational. 
Huey Lewis in the News, Hangover, Huey Lewis in the News, Epic. Well, for a more appropriate description, you can head to www.powerathletehq.com backslash events. Until next time, bye!